The following is from a November 29, 2022 article in Today.com. A Texas woman who was kidnapped as a baby more than 50 years ago has been reunited with her family members thanks to a home DNA testing kit. Melissa Highsmith was just 22, years old, 22 months old when a babysitter allegedly kidnapped her from her parents' Fort Worth apartment in August 1971. According to NBC Dallas-Fort Worth, Highsmith's mother, Alta Apintenko, who was working as a waitress at the time, placed an ad in a local newspaper to find childcare for her daughter. After a woman answered the ad, Mrs. Apintenko hired her without meeting her first. The woman allegedly took her daughter and never returned. Alta and her husband, Jeffrey Highsmith, and her family members spent the next five decades searching for the missing child, even turning to social media in the digital age by creating a Facebook page called Finding Melissa. After a recommendation from a genealogist, the family decided to use the home DNA testing kits, Ancestry and 23andMe, in an effort to track down Melissa. And the idea worked. A promising DNA match turned up on 23andMe. Melissa Highsmith's sister, Victoria, told NBC Dallas-Fort Worth that the DNA matched samples from Melissa Highsmith's children. Her parents then provided their own DNA samples. And within three weeks, the Highsmiths were reunited with their long-lost daughter, now age 53. And it was like, boom, 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 we found her, Victoria said. I couldn't stop crying. I was overjoyed. I'm still walking around in a fog trying to comprehend that my sister is right here in front of me and that we found her. It's a Christmas miracle. It's amazing meeting her. It was like looking into myself. She looks like me and like us. She's overjoyed to be in our, in our lives. And according to NBC Dallas Fort Worth, Melissa Highsmith, who grew up believing her name was Melanie, lived most of her life in Fort Worth and had no idea that she had been kidnapped. A spokesperson for 23andMe told NBC News that the company had never heard of an account like this one. You know, there are really no words to describe how incredible this story is. We're so grateful that Melissa and her family were able to reunite after such a long period of time, and we wish them all the best in getting to know one another. This morning, we're going to be delving into another family reunion with a similar theme. It's been 22 years since Joseph's brothers kidnapped him and sold him into slavery. Their father was shown his bloody robe and thinking he had been killed by a ferocious animal, had no hope of ever seeing him again. And over the past several weeks, we've followed this story as Joseph's brothers arrived in Egypt looking to buy grain during the worldwide famine. They unknowingly encountered their brother who was now the second in command of Egypt. Their brothers were put for, through a series of tests by God through Joseph to remind them and convict them of their sin and bring them to repentance. These tests have reminded them of their guilt, and they believed that God was punishing them for what they had done to their brother. Last week, Judah made an impassioned plea to take Benjamin's place as Joseph's slave. Now, Judah showed how much he cared for his father, wanting to keep him from having to deal with the loss of another favored son. Judah, as the spokesperson for himself and his brothers, they've proved that they've changed and were sorry for what they'd done to Joseph those many years ago. And this morning, we're going to see another family reunited with embracing, kissing, and tears made possible because Joseph had forgiven his brothers for what they'd done to him. 
because his brothers had repented of their sin against him. They were able to be reconciled and have true fellowship with each other once again. Which brings us to the big idea this morning, that forgiveness and repentance bring reconciliation and fellowship. When we are willing to forgive and repent, we can be reconciled and have true fellowship with other human beings. And when we repent of our sins, God forgives us, and we can be reconciled and have true fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Before we dive into our scripture this morning, let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, I pray that you would give us wisdom. pray that you would give us insight from your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us to grow in love for you and your word and in wisdom and knowledge. Give us a heart for all of your creation as we navigate our everyday lives in this earth that you placed us on. Help us to fall deeper in love with you as we surrender our lives to you and follow your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's three points this morning. The first is pardoning grace. And we're in Genesis 45. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 4. And then I'm going to skip down to 14 and 15. You follow along as I read those verses. This is what God's word says. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Then he threw his arms, and skipping down to 14, then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. And afterwards, his brothers talked to him, talked with him. So I've already mentioned, Judah makes this impassioned plea on behalf of his father. He refers to his father 14 times in a loving and caring manner at the end of chapter 44. Sternberg says, simply, Judah so feels for his father that he begs to sacrifice himself for a brother more loved than himself. Joseph realizes that what he has hoped for has come true. His brothers have changed. Judah is willing to become a slave to Joseph in Benjamin's place. And they care for their father, not wanting to see him hurt anymore. They have also seemingly treated Benjamin differently than they treated Joseph. And there's been repentance for what they had done. Spicer says, Joseph's brothers have passed a critical test, which is all the more revealing since they did not know that they were being tested. You know, that's important. This showed that a true transformation had taken place in his brothers' lives. Once Joseph was convinced of their transformation, he could no longer control his, control his emotions. In order to keep it a private family matter, he commands his Egyptian attendants to leave, and he re reveals himself to them. Joseph is so overcome with emotion that he weeps tears of joy and love because now he can be reunited with his family. 
And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians in his household, outside the room they were in, could hear him. And the news of his weeping even reached Pharaoh's household. Joseph tells his brothers that he's their long-lost brother, Joseph. And he then asked them if their father was living. This question showed his compassion towards his brothers because he didn't want them to feel any more guilty than they had. So he directs his thoughts to their father and not focusing on himself or what they had done to him. Now this question about his father may seem strange because right before the feast in chapter 43, he asked if his father was still living and they told him he was. And Joseph knows that they, they never made it back home after being stopped and questioned about the silver cup in chapter 44. But this time he asked about, quote-unquote, my father, as opposed to, quote-unquote, your father. He didn't really want to literally know if his father was alive or not because they had already told him he was. He wanted to know all the intimate details about his father that he had missed in the last 22 years. His brothers are stunned by this revelation, and they're left speechless. They're terrified of him because if this really is their brother that they sold into Egypt, and if he is really his second in command of Egypt, then they're terrified that he's going to take their revenge on them, take his revenge on them. Their guilt is brought to the surface again. And Joseph, seeing the panic in their faces, tells them three things to encourage them. First, he tells them to come close to him so they would feel more at ease. And this is in the plural, meaning he wanted all his brothers to come forward. You know, they may have been reluctant at first because Egyptians and Hebrews did not have close and intimate contact. But he needed them to see that he was sincere. He needed them to see that he was one of them. Second, as they came closer, he again tells them that he is Joseph. But he adds that he's their brother. And third, he qualifies his previous statement that he is the one that you sold into Egypt. Now, he didn't add this last part to make them feel more guilty, but to further identify who he was. You know, this information would prove that he was Joseph, because no one else had that particular information. As we move down to verses 14 and 15, we see the pardoning grace that Joseph extended to them. He started with his full brother, Benjamin. He embraced him, and he wept over him. And Benjamin reciprocated by embracing him and weeping over Joseph as well. And then he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them as well. His weeping showed them that this was not a trap. He held no resentment, no bitterness, no grudge against them. He had already forgiven them, and they did not need to feel guilty or be afraid anymore. Lastly, they were able to fellowship together and even speak to one another, which was important. Genesis 37.4 says that his brothers hated him so much that they couldn't even speak a kind word to him. Now that Joseph had forgiven them and they had repented, they could be a family again, being reconciled and enjoying fellowship together. Second point this morning is preserving grace. That's found in verses 5 to 8. Again, this is what God's word says. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. 
And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Joseph did not want his brothers to be distressed or grieved. He didn't want them to be angry with themselves. There was no reason for them to keep feeling guilty because God was in control. It was part of God's plan all along. He mentions four times that God was behind the events of his life. In God's preserving grace, he sent Joseph to Egypt ahead of his family to save lives. This was why he was sold into slavery. This is why he became second in command of Egypt. This was why God gave him the knowledge of the seven-year famine and the plan to save Egypt, Canaan, and the world from starvation. The famine has been in effect for two years, and there'll still be five more years of no significant harvesting taking place. Yes, the brothers hated Joseph, and they sold him into slavery. But God used that hatred to further his plan to preserve a remnant on the earth and save their lives by a great deliverance. This great deliverance speaks to the present, the present saving and the future saving of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. But it also speaks to the future coming of Jesus, who's going to be the Messiah. Joseph's family, who would become God's chosen people, were the remnant from the earth that would deliver the world from death and sin through, the, through their descendant, Jesus Christ. Jesus would save lives by a great deliverance, by dying on the cross for the sins of the entire world and resurrecting on the third day. This was why God made Joseph father to Pharaoh, meaning that he was Pharaoh's advisor, and made him lord over his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. It was to fulfill his plan and purpose to save the world. It was the sovereignty and providence of God that sent Joseph to Egypt, not his brothers. And we don't know exactly when in jo Joseph's journey he realized that the hand of God was in his life, but when he did, he was able to extend forgiveness to his brothers for what they had done to him. You know, sometimes I believe we don't give God enough credit for what he's doing in our lives and around the world. And we might feel like we're in total control of our lives, and he's not influencing us at all. Now, don't get me wrong, we're not puppets. God's not a puppet master. We still have free will, and we can make our own decisions, and we still have a human responsibility for our actions. But I, for one, can fully testify that God's hand has been all over my life from the very beginning. He's directed my past, even as I sinned against him. And I believe that he still does every single day. And I wouldn't want it any other way. But I also think we're fearful and anxious about what is going on in our lives and in our world. Because sometimes we feel that God doesn't care. We don't fully believe that he loves us. He wants to be in fellowship and relationship with us. And nothing could be further from the truth. Matthew 10, 29 and 31 says this. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very heads on your head are numbered. So do not be afraid. 
you are worth more than many sparrows. When we realize that God loves us, wants a genuine relationship with us, and wants to move in our lives, we can truly have fellowship with him. We can have an abundant life on this earth following his will. When we totally surrender our lives to him, we'll see the events of our lives in a different way. And we'll be able to go through life with hope and peace instead of fear and anxiety. So maybe you are here this morning, you struggle for some reason with these concepts. That God loves you, cares for you, wants to be in fellowship and relationship with you. Maybe you struggle with the idea of God's sovereignty and providence in your life or in the world. And if so, this first next step on the back of your communication card may be for you. Just to totally surrender to God, embracing his love and care for me and his sovereignty and providence in my life. Our third point this morning is promised grace. That's found in verses 9 to 13. Follow along as I read those words. This is God's word. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. You know, Joseph tells his brothers to hurry to Canaan, bring their father and their families back to Egypt. But he realizes that Jacob may have a few problems with this message. First, Jacob will not, probably will not want to leave the promised land. You know, he did that one time before the urging of his mother, after his brother Esau threatened to kill him, and he ended up being gone for 20 years. Now that he is again living in the promised land that God gave his grandfather Abraham, as his inheritance, why would he leave? Canaan's where he's supposed to be. The promised land is where he's supposed to be. Joseph's brothers will need to make a compelling argument for Jacob to realize his need to leave and that God's hand is in it. They had to tell their father about all the honor that God has given Joseph. He's Lord of all Egypt, and he has a place for them to live. Part of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, 3, especially the promise of a great name, was being fulfilled in Jacob's son, Joseph, because God had made him Lord of all Egypt. Daniel and Bramer says that in their commentary. In Goshen, Jacob, his children, his grandchildren, their flocks and herds, and all that they have can be comfortable and safe. Goshen was the best of the land. It was unpopulated because it was reserved for royalty. Again, the sovereignty of God. They would also be able to be near Joseph and would not lack for anything. He promised to provide for them for the remaining five years of famine, and he could make this promise 
because God put him right where he needed to be, right when he needed to be there. They were also to tell their father that if he didn't come down to Egypt, his household and all who belonged to him would become destitute. During times of famine, families would have to mortgage their lands and even sell themselves and their families into slavery, causing them to be destitute. Joseph did not want this for his family. Second, Jacob may not believe that Joseph is alive. He would be, probably be a little skeptical. Joseph's brothers were going to have to do a hard thing. They were going to have to tell their father that Joseph did not die, but that they sold him into Egypt. Then they would be able to testify that they had seen him with their own eyes and heard them with their own ears. If you remember, Joseph had sent everyone out back in verse 1, including the interpreter. So he's been speaking Hebrew to them this whole time. This was just more evidence that he truly was their brother. Joseph singles out Benjamin because their father would probably more readily take his word for it, being Joseph's full brother by the same mother. All this would be compelling evidence for Jacob to believe that Joseph was still alive. And lastly, Joseph tells them again to tell their father about all the honor, the status, and the power that he has in Egypt, and that they have seen this with their own eyes. He finishes with, bring my father down quickly. This reunion with his brothers has been sweet, especially with Benjamin, but now what he wants is a reunion with his father. He thought that he would never see his father again, and Jacob thought he was dead all these years. But now a full family reunion can be had, fellowship can be rekindled, because there's been forgiveness, repentance, and reconciliation. Before I close this morning, I want to pass on four principles of forgiveness that we can glean from these last couple chapters. The first one is one, forgiveness should be done privately. Matthew 18, 15 says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Second, forgiveness should be given freely and unconditionally. And we may ask how this can be done when someone has hurt us or wronged us badly. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. We must forgive others because we have been forgiven by God. Three, forgiveness seeks correction and restoration of the offender. Too many times restoration never happens because the offended or the offender doesn't want it or doesn't think it's important. Reconciliation and restoration are what can bring us back into fellowship and relationship. And four, forgiveness must be permanent and not brought up again. You know, it may not be humanly possible to forget the sin that's perpetrated against us, but in order to have true forgiveness and reconciliation, once the offense is repented of and forgiven, we must live and act like we have forgotten it in order to have fellowship with that person, true fellowship. A father and his te teenage son had a stormy relationship, so the son ran away from home. His father began a journey in search of his rebellious son. Finally, in Madrid, in the last desperate effort to find him, 
The father put an ad in the newspaper. The ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, 800 Pacos showed up. They were all seeking forgiveness and love from their fathers. Joseph did not require that his brothers make the first move in seeking forgiveness. Even before their repentance, Joseph had treated them generously and graciously when he had every right to treat them with bitterness and vengeance. Joseph wanted to be reconciled. Once he knew their hearts were ready, he revealed the truth to them. He held nothing against them and desired to hold them close and to see their father again. You know, our families and our churches are full of many broken relationships that beg to be mended. But reconciliation requires the conviction that something is wrong, the confession of that wrong, and forgiveness offered and accepted. So what are you prepared to do in the broken relationships in your life? Are you willing to take the next step? What is your desire? Is it to be vindicated or to be reconciled? May we be like Joseph, seeking reconciliation. And that brings us to our final next step this morning, which is to forgive and seek reconciliation in the broken relationships in my life. As the praise team comes to lead us in a final song and the ushers prepare to collect the tithes and offerings, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this opportunity to be in your house with your people, learning from your word. Help us to be willing to surrender our lives to you. Help us to embrace your love and care for us and your sovereignty and providence in our lives. And I pray that we would be willing to forgive others first, seeking reconciliation in the broken relationships in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.